Oh, I guess I'm not on. I've been talking to myself. So, <laughs> not unusual at all. So, uh, uh, welcome to HBF. It's good to see you all. For those of you that are online, we're really glad to see you. I know there's a lot of people, um, you know, several we know from HBF that are, uh, you know, online due to COVID and health issues and so on and so forth, shut-ins. And so, we're, we're glad that you're with us this morning. And uh, if you're a first-time guest here, I do hope you took one of those guest bags and and uh, filled out, and we'll fill out a guest card this morning because we really do want to get to know you. And uh, thank you for being here this morning. We had a great week this week with VBS, a lot of stuff going on. What a great baptism that was! That was exciting, and so it's really it's really cool. So I'm excited about all that God's doing. And uh, this is one of those days. What I was going to say a minute ago is this is one of those days. Depends on your perspective, you know. But when you're out here where the pavement ends and the gravel begins. Uh, this is not a bad day. This is a great day. We got rain for the crops. We've got uh, we had good temperate weather lately, and so God's blessing uh, the heart of America. So we praise God for that. It's good to have showers of blessing. And so uh, now I know there's someone probably watching me right now that slept in though. They said, "Man, this is good sleeping weather." So shame on you. But anyway, uh, so we're, we're glad that you're here this morning. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in the Book of Proverbs this morning. Uh, we're going to start there in the Book of Proverbs. Uh, chapter 4, so be turning there, I'm going to turn with you, uh, Proverbs chapter 4, and uh, we're going to be starting a new uh, series, this is going to be a short series, uh, and it's unlike me to do this, but uh, instead of an expository book, I've got three expository books lined up after this short series, so I thought I'd take a little break, and I want to address just some issues um, that are on my heart uh, regarding uh, our culture. God put this on my heart probably about a year ago, actually, so this isn't Whatever I say in the next, you know, uh, few weeks has nothing to do with necessarily all the changes that have happened in our culture in the last several months. However, I think they're appropriate, and so God's ordered this. And so uh, I've called this series that we're going to be in the Heart Issues Sermon Series, and this morning we're going to talk about choosing life. And particularly, we're going to delve into the subject of suicide versus sacrifice. That's kind of heavy, right? We just had a baptism service, and we're Christians. We're supposed to be happy. We are going to be happy uh, because God has given us victory over death. But I just want to just I want to touch on really what's in our culture, uh, which is increasingly becoming a culture of death. And uh, the way things have worked out in God's providence uh, this morning uh, is it, forgive me for moving this, but it, it's I got to look at Bob. And my daughter's over here too, so I got to shoot off of Bob and hit Amy, or hit Elizabeth. So yeah, I'm just kidding, sort of. But anyway, uh, <laughs> so um, I want to make sure I got my eye on you. No, I'm just kidding. So uh, I forgot what I was going to say. But anyway, oh, I was, uh, you know, this is a great month, uh, or really great time. It just so happens I didn't plan this either. But uh, Carol Thompson heads up the Shiloh. Um, Crisis Pregnancy Center here in town, and they're just launching a campaign uh, called Stand for Life. Because of COVID, they couldn't go out this year. And uh, how many of you done the Walk for Life with? Uh, uh, is it called Walk for Life or yeah, Walk for Life with uh, Shiloh? Well, not enough of you. Okay, so next year when all this is over and they can, we can go out walk in the park, everyone needs to sign up for that. How many of you done the Life Issues uh, Recovery Walk? Okay, more of you, which is good. So let's just get it all, let's equal that out. So two walks a year, that's all I'm asking. One in the fall and one in the spring. Because the, typically the, the, uh, the walk for life occurs in, like, was it May? Yeah, and so with COVID, obviously that couldn't happen. So this year they're doing Stand for Life. You'll see a, 
out in the foyer there's a t-shirt uh you can buy a t-shirt and support that uh, and make a donation uh of any large size that's what carol said no i'm just saying any any size to help the uh the pregnant the uh crisis pregnancy center but yeah, actually you can imagine you know with everything that's gone on with covid um you know that is a very important front they missed a whole fundraiser it's probably about a third of your budget i'm guessing and so uh they do need your support and it just so happens that today is when you're launching that off of the things just went out in the mail. My lovely wife, I asked her to model the, 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 the gear, but she won't get up and do that. So she's even, she's covering up, she's ashamed. But anyway, um, she needs, she's got, if you want to see an example of the shirt, she's got one on underneath her jean jacket. So anyway, um, in the book of Deuteronomy, uh, before Israel entered the promised land, God called his people to choose life. I think many of you are familiar with that. Maybe you're not. Maybe you've never read Deuteronomy. What is that? I mean, that sounds like, you know, an algebra class or something. But Deuteronomy is the second uh, giving of the law. And so before Israel went into the promised land, God gave them, uh, gave them some really some final instructions before we go type of thing. It's sort of like D-Day, right? <laughs> you know, you want to have everything wired tight before you hit Normandy. And so he's given them, he's given them all the instructions uh, that they need before they go in. And, and one of the things that he, and he's reiterating what he's already told them, by the way. He's not giving them new information. He's just rehearsing what, it, what they already should know from, uh, from what he taught them in their time in the wilderness. And in Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 19, he says, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both thou and thy seed may live. And God gave this very simple command, choose life so that you may live. You know, every born-again believer is, is, that is called upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior has chosen life because Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And we're so thankful for that. We're so thankful for seeing Sarah right this morning. What a great example of Christ's life. And, uh, man, we love God and we love people. And we love seeing God do work in people's lives. And, and that's really important. And it's really more than important. It's encouraging. It's life-altering. I mean, the life of Christ alters our life, not just, on this, not just in time, but for all of eternity. Life is, you know, without God, there is no life. life. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. There's no life without him. We wouldn't be here. Before we were even born again, he was thinking about us. He allowed us to be created. I mean, God is, is amazing. So we, we cannot uh, ultimately choose life if we don't choose Christ. Think about that for just a moment. Maybe you're listening and you're not a what we call a Christian. That, that's a term we get from the book of Acts chapter 11. Uh, that's someone who follows Christ. That's a disciple, a follower of Christ, a learner of Christ. Someone who's gotten, who has placed their faith in Christ as their Lord and Savior. He changes our life and we follow him. And when we become a Christian, that, that means we have chosen life, just like Sarah has chosen life because she chose Christ. And it's a decision. Uh, you got to know that he is, you know, and you got to believe that the, what he says he is is who he is. Jesus Christ is God. He uh, is not playing. He died on the cross for our sin. It's not just, you know, awesome what we did this week with VBS, but it's not just for little kids. <laughs> no, it's for everybody, including adults. It's not a cunningly devised fable. Uh, as a matter of fact, it's, it's simple enough kids can grab hold of it, but it's so deep 
uh, that it, we will never grasp the fullness of God's grace and goodness for all of eternity. I mean, he is so good, and his life is so immense. It's eternal. It's unending. Uh, it swallows us up into eternity. It's, it's amazing. It's a, it's a great thing. Praise God. And so, so you would think that God's chosen people would automatically, you know, choose life, wouldn't they? Right? I mean, think about Christians. I mean, we, we know the author of life. I know the author of life. He lives in me. So would you think I would automatically choose life? You would think that. You would think that, that God's chosen people, Israel in Exodus chapter 4, I believe it is, or chapter 2 and verse 4, they're called a son in Exodus. I'll say that. I know that's right. God called Israel as a nation his son. Not just Israel being Jacob, but Israel the nation. God looked at Israel as a group like he looks at us individually in first john 3 he calls us his son right behold what manner of love the father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of god so when we accept christ we become a child of god literally uh, he adopts us romans chapter 8 uh, speaks about both physically but first he does it spiritually so it doth not yet appear what we shall be but someday we're going to be caught up together in the air and we're going to look like him you know what that's awesome in the true sense of the word, Jeff Tree. It's really awesome. And so the promises that we have in Christ, they are deep. Man, they're deeper than the ocean. The ocean's deep, right? We just taught, learned that in VBS, right? There's places that are so deep, only God knows about them. But you know what? Eternal life is deeper. But it's as shallow as the, as the seashore, right? So maybe this morning you're not saved, and you're like Sarah. Maybe you were struggling with something, and God's brought you here today so that you can, you can get in to Christ. It's just you just got to make a decision to get in Christ. He's right there waiting. And he wants to give you eternal life. So, you think, okay, Brian, we get that. We're Christians, we, we love God. But you know what, they were this, they as a nation had to be told, after God had taken them through the, the, the Red Sea, after God had given them manna, after God had given them um, um, uh, water out of the rock, after God had defeated the enemies, after God had done all those things, as God's preparing them, after he gave them, the t- most importantly, the law on Sinai, he'd given them the tabernacle, he'd given them worship, he'd given them structure, he'd given them order, he'd given them inheritance, he had described the promised land and what they were going to do. After all of that, he still has to remind them, hey, wait a minute, make sure you choose life. Choose life. Make sure you choose life. You know, God had given them explicit instructions to choose life, and there's a reason. And this is what I want to kind of jump off of the diving board on this morning by way of introduction, not only to this particular message, but the entire series that I'll be doing. The reason that they had to, they had to be told to choose life is because on the other side of the Jordan were peoples who worshipped other gods. And, and those other gods took their heart away from the one true God. Matter of fact, they had been there for over 400 years, worshipping other gods growing increasingly hardened and hardened and hardened to the one true God. And God knew that if they, being the children of Israel, did not choose him, did not choose his word coming from Sinai in the Old Testament historical context, did not choose to submit to the structure that he had given them in his word, they too would be subject to the same judgment that, was come, that they were bringing. Because, by the way, they were bringing judgment to the promised land. The promised land was for the children of Israel, but it was also because the inhabitants of the promised land prior 
were hardened, exceedingly hardened against God. And so God knew that if they didn't choose him, his word and his ways, that they too would be led away into a religious system that would result in death. Because all they had was a religion in Canaan. That's all they had. They did not have a relationship with the one true God. And so in Leviticus chapter 20, in verse 2, the Bible says, Again, thou shalt say to the children of Israel, Whosoever he be of the children of Israel, or the strangers that sojourn in Israel, that give any of his seed unto Molech, he shall surely be put to death. The people of the land shall stone him with stones, and I will set my face against that man, and will cut him off from among his people, because he hath given of his seed unto Molech to defile my sanctuary and to profane my name. Okay, what was going on in the promised land before Israel shows up? His people were offering their children as sacrifices to pagan deities. Okay, that's the kind of activity that's going on, among a lot of other things. And God said, that's enough. Now, even to this day, right, you know, because you watch, you know, you're in this world, many people will take this very passage and tell me that my God's a murderer, right? Look at all the people he slaughtered. They will not take into account the hundreds of years of space he gave those folks to repent. And also the history that we're not, we don't have, I'm sure, of other ways that God dealt with. And they don't take into the fact that when Joshua entered the land, God gave grace to the Gibeonites. He gave grace to Rahab. God's grace was available even to lost Gentile pagans whenever their hearts were tender enough to take it and choose life. But the, re- the reality is, is that there was a serious threat in the promised land. And it was idolatry. It was paganism. It's the same thing that we face today. And by the time King Josiah rose to power in Judah, he had forbid the sacrifice of children to Molech because it had gotten so bad that even within the confines of the nation of Israel, the very chosen people, the people that had already been warned, they themselves had gotten accustomed to the customs and ended up sacrificing their own kids to Molech. And Josiah, the king... Is, rises up not shortly before the Israel's taken into captivity. He's just a respite, him and Hezekiah. And he says, enough of this! And he stops, puts a stop to all that, just for a season. But it, then it comes back double worse. After, or double, that's, not even good, that's not even good English, but you guys get what I'm saying. It comes back double after he passes. And God goes ahead and executes his judgment. You guys know the story. But in 2 Kings chapter 23, the Bible says, and he defiled, he defiled Topheth, which is in the valley of the children of Hinnom, that no man might make his son or his daughter to pass through the fire to Molech. So that's Josiah executing judgment upon these places of worship that sacrifice their own children uh, to these pagan gods. Now we just look at that today and go, oh, that's terrible. But you know, I just, I've heard, I just saw just a few months ago a young lady get up and, and brag about how her life is so good because she sacrificed her child an abortion clinic. Now, I know what you're thinking. Brian, how dare you say that because you don't understand the hurt that these mothers have. And I will tell you, I don't. And I am sensitive to that. And as a matter of fact, if they're lost, I can't have any expectations of them at all. But if you're a Christian, you ought to know better. And you should not do that. Not because I say so, because that's just not choosing life. 
what about this? What about that? Okay, obviously, there's medical situations and there's situations going. God actually, there's times people miscarriage. We understand that those things happen. But I'm talking about and taking it in our own hands, you know, that's not the virtue of Christ in Christian living. That's, it just isn't. There's nothing to argue there. Okay, so, uh, I, and don't, there was a, I was with you. One time I was saying, yes, yes, let's do abortion. I was all for it before I got saved. I know what it's like to be on both sides of this thing. But the reality is, 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 is God's like, no. Not just my children, but even anybody that's in the promised land, if they're doing this stuff, it's a capital offense. You know, 10 seconds after a child's born, if you take them out and kill them, what's going to happen to you? Death penalty. Should be, anyway. For murder, because that child's considered human at that point. I'm not talking about biblically. I'm talking about in the law. Until partial, well, until like a year ago in New York, I guess. But at any rate, um, and so those those issues of life and death, they're very present in our culture today. And I might even be making some people uncomfortable, but that, there's a reason why I'm bringing this up. So hang with me. I'm not really trying to offend people. I just want to make a point, and I think I'm doing that. Uh, and so in Jeremiah 32 and verse 35, it says, and, and they built the high places of Baal. Now, this this is this is not good. This is the same thing. Jeremiah, the prophet, the weeping prophet, who sees the children of Israel going to captivity, says they built the high places of Baal, which are in the valley of Hinnom. We just heard about the valley of Hinnom. To, to cause their sons and their daughters to pass through the fire unto Moloch, which I commanded them not, neither came into my mind. That's what God said. Neither would that, that didn't even enter my mind that, 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 that they would do this abomination to cause Judah to sin. Judah. I mean, this is this is where the temple's located. This is Judah. And God's like, it didn't even enter my mind. Now think about that statement. How can that be when God knows everything? Because God isn't about evil. And that was something he's like, man, it didn't even enter my I did not I did not set my people apart for this. To my point. There's a reason, though, God did have it, obviously, in his foreknowledge. He knew that he had to warn his people, don't allow this to go on because, well, it's death and I'm life. And it's against everything I stand for. And I don't want to see innocence taken like that. And so, God knows that we, well, we become like those we worship. And we don't worship the author. When we don't worship the author of life, we end up worshiping death. And it became evident in the culture, as people chose death, they began to call good evil and evil good. And so if it weren't for Jesus, death and his burial and his resurrection, his sacrifice for sin, death would still be reigning. But, but it doesn't rule because Jesus chose death so he could give us life. And that is the difference between sacrifice and and suicide, sacrifice, and murder. And that is going to be the, the topic of this first sermon in the Heart Issues sermon series. And so I've asked you to turn to Proverbs chapter 4. I want to look down in verse 23, Proverbs chapter 4 and uh, verse 23. Now, this is really just the theme verse for the whole series, but it's going to kick off this message as well. Proverbs 4 and verse 23. The Bible says here, let's stand together. Let's honor God's word. You're going to stand up. We're not genuflexing here. This is just going to be quick. <laughs> but we're going to honor God's word. If you can stand. If you can't, please don't worry. Be seated. But for those that are able-bodied. Okay, 
Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23. The Bible says here, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus. Keep our heart with all diligence. Oh, Lord, we pray, God, that you would, as we just sung, you seal our hearts, Lord, in courts above. Take our hearts, Lord. Lord, only you really know the heart of man. Lord, it's like, a, as Dr. Walter Wilson once said, it's an enigma which is unsolved. The physical heart is, is very difficult to understand. How does it start? How did God get that going? It's a heartbeat, Heavenly Father, that, that changes the mind of a mother oftentimes to understand that this is life. And it affects and alters the course, not only of their life, but the life of a child. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you not just for the beating heart, the, the one that's inside of our chest, but what it represents is a metaphor to the life-giving uh, love of the Lord Jesus Christ and the heart, Lord, that you have for us and the heart that we give to you the day that we get saved. And Heavenly Father, we pray this morning for the broken heart. We pray for the heavy heart. We pray for the sinful heart, the wretched heart. Oh, Heavenly Father, we've all, uh, we all have tasted of that. We all know what it's like to be in that situation. And Lord, we pray, God, that you would create in us a, a new heart, a clean heart, as David said. Oh, Heavenly Father, this is a, a, a people. I'm a, I'm a person. This is a church. This is a nation with heart issues. Oh, Heavenly Father, I pray, God, through this series, you help our heart. Oh, God, keep our hearts. We just thank you and we praise you for giving us a new heart and allowing water of life to flow out of our heart because, Lord, you gave yourself a sacrifice. Oh, Heavenly Father, I pray a blessing to the reading and the hearing of your word this morning. We thank you and we praise you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So what God was encouraging Israel to do in Deuteronomy before he, he entered the promised land was keep their, their heart. That's really what he was doing. He's saying, hey, guys, keep your heart, right? Keep your heart with all diligence. Make sure that when you enter the promised land, you don't get caught up in some of this death culture that's going on all over the place. As a matter of fact, we need to eradicate that. So that's exactly what we should be doing today, beloved. A lot of Christians are running around worried about the culture of death, which we ought to be. But you know how we solve that is bringing life and light. We do something about it. That's why Carol's got the Shiloh thing going uh, that's why we, we have a life issues walk. That's why we preach the gospel. And I know I'm preaching to the choir, but it's, it's worth saying. Because twice in John chapter 14 at the Last Supper, before Jesus would go to the cross and pay for our sins, um, he instructed his disciples about the issues of the heart. And in John chapter 14 and verse 1, very familiar to most of us, he said to them, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. All right, so he's establishing his deity. It's the book of John. We understand all that context. But he's also saying something. Is that when your heart is troubled, I'm the go-to guy. Jesus Christ is the go-to. There's no reason to be overly troubled. And he is fixing to go to Gethsemane, pray, and go become the sacrifice for sin. And he's worried about his disciples. They've already celebrated the Passover. Judas is already off to betray him. And he's telling them, hey, don't let your heart be troubled. They have no idea how meaningful he just what he said was at that moment. I mean, the whole world is rotating, literally rotating around what's going to happen in the next few hours, an eternity. <laughs> and he's looking at his disciples who are almost clueless. They have no idea. He's like, hey, let not your heart be troubled. Now, in retrospect, we can look back on that and go, whoo, he's got it, man, that's awesome. 
But you know what? They didn't know that at the time, did they? They didn't fully grasp that. In John 14, 26, after he went on further, he promises them the Comforter, the Holy Ghost. And he says, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I've said unto you. Right? So there he tells them, look, you're going to get great comfort, and you're going to get great comfort from the words that I have said unto you. Oh, the priority, the priority of the word of God. I like what Ron was saying earlier. He's like, the foolishness of preaching, preaching this Bible, this Bible that many considered an old book of fables, an old hist- old book of, you know, old people just wrote it, and it's so old and archaic. But the reality is, these are God's words. And when we, when we hang on to the words of God, it brings us great comfort because, well, they're not just words, they're spirit and they're life. And the Holy Ghost is quickened, uh, is, quickens our soul when we get saved, but he teaches us all things whatsoever Jesus has said to us. We get great comfort from the word of God, and that's so important. Let not your heart be troubled, he says in verse 27 of John 14, neither let it be afraid. And of course, Jesus knew what was fixing to happen. Uh, with his life and also the life of the apostles it was very very fitting words because there's a lot of things that were going on uh, that would cause anyone's heart to be troubled any human heart and even jesus of course he had to deal with our sin he had to deal with the most difficult thing in eternity and that is the sin of humanity within the space of three hours not to mention the space before that where he's, he's mocked cruelly and beaten and scourged before he even gets to the cross and deals with our sin on the cross. And so Jesus was about to, to, to give his life to offer up the only sacrifice that can restore man's heart, but he was concerned about his disciples' heart. And so there's a lot of things that trouble man's heart because they either don't know Christ or they don't know or they don't know or they, they do know Christ, but they have forsaken communion with him. I gotta get that right out of my notes there. Because that's an important point. There's people who do know Christ. Remember, going back to Deuteronomy, God was fixing to take his people in the promised land, but he was warning them of things that would mess their heart up before they even went. He wasn't taught the, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the whateverites. They, those dudes are already messed up, <laughs> right? He wasn't, he wasn't talking to them. He's talking to his people. He's like, don't get caught up in a culture of death. When you are here to represent life, you've got to be careful. And so it's imperative that God's people stay focused on so, so we don't lose our inheritance. See, that's what was at stake. They were going into the promised land to acquire their inheritance. They were already set apart. They were free from Egypt. But now they're going forward to get the inheritance. They were going to establish themselves in the promised land. Now, for us, our inheritance is Christ. And we get, we, that's why we get out of here at the catching away of the church and, and get ready for war because we're going to come back with Christ and help him give back the property to Israel seven years after we're taken out. We are like an army, though it looks like we're not, just like Israel coming out of, the nation, uh, coming out of Egypt. And God's going to take us away and he's going to bring us back. That's what the Bible teaches. So th- th- this, uh, this is important because there's so many souls today who are without hope. They're in darkness because they don't know Christ. So today we're ambassadors. We're goodwill ambassadors. We bring the light of Christ. We let people know it's going to be okay if you know Christ. Amen. And do you know Christ? I mean, this morning, I want to show hands, but I'm afraid someone can't raise their hand. 
But I would like for us, it would be awesome if we could all just, if, and don't do it, because I don't want to make it feel weird for anyone who's not, but isn't it exciting to be saved? Amen, Amen. yeah. And we could, we could all just rejoice in that. Praise God. But there might be some people here that can't. You really can't in your soul, in your gut. You know that you're really not right with God Almighty. But you, you might even want to, but you don't know how. That's, that's, that's important because it's an, issue, it's an issue of the heart. Maybe you're watching online. It's an issue of the heart. There's a phrase right now that's very popular. How many of you heard of the phrase, uh, you can show your hands on this, cancel culture? Anybody heard of that? Wow, not very many of you. I'm surprised. A few of you. Well, you ought to get used to it. Because that's a, that's, a, that's, a, uh, that's, a, that's a popular, um, it's a good term. Because basically right now, there, it's a culture where there's people that pretty much cancel out any opinion you have, any value system you might have that is opposed to theirs. It's the very thing that people have accused Christians of being for the last, you know, my whole life, right? Uh, but it's really not that way. And so if you don't have a particular viewpoint, a particular... We used to, how many of you have heard political correctness? Okay, more of you have heard of that. It's basically that, on steroids. So if you're not correct politically, you're canceled, right? So you don't have that freedom anymore to think differently. But praise God, in Christ, you're all, you are free, and nobody can stop that. And so um, the, the cancel culture has recently been adapted to describe the influence of Marxism upon American culture. That's really my short definition. That's my definition. Um, it, it basically is, is just a quick way of describing the influence of Marxism on the culture. So if you go back, just, so, just for those of you that are like wanting to know what am I talking about, go back and study um, uh, the Bolshevik Revolution, Chairman Mao, Pol Pot, you know, just all the, all the, all the Marxists, Stalin, gosh, how could I forget Stalin, you know, and even Hitler, throw Hitler in there. All the same tactics are used. It's that cancel culture. And it's just used to divide and conquer. So, all right, that happens. That's political. I'm not getting into politics, but I want to bring that up because one of the things that needs to be canceled in our culture, I just say all that to say this, is the influence of death. That's what we're here to cancel. I mean, we've got a lot of things we can get involved in and we ought to, but the reality is ultimately what is the bottom line reason God's put us here on the, on the planet right now? It's to put death out of business. That's what Jesus came to the earth to do, and that's what we're left here to do. We're here to cancel. So I want to talk to you about canceling the culture of death in the time i got remaining, and I'm going to have to fly. So I've been slow and deliberate. Now buckle up your seatbelts. All right, let's go. So I want to examine the evidence. Let me just give you some, st- st- some statistics. And one of, the, one of the evidence is that men's hearts are troubled and that they're choos- is that they're choosing death instead of life. And I don't mean that like in a spiritual sense. I mean, like, literally, for the last several years, for over 18 years, just year after year after year, men, and primarily men, uh, 70%, let's say, of men, 70% of the deaths to suicide are men. Three-quarters of the deaths. And men, literally, are choosing death at a higher rate every year than they've ever done it since they've been measuring it anyway. It's going up, 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 up since 1999. Isn't that something? People are literally choosing death. And if they're not saved, guess what they're choosing? Eternal death. What a sad thing that would be to step out of this life into eternal death. Oh my gosh, it's tragic. So statistically, the CDC says that suicide among Americans is steadily on the rise since 1999, 
when they began tracking it. And on average, there's 44,000 per year that will take their own life. Which in, a, in, a, in you know, 300 and some million, that doesn't seem like a lot. But let me just pull that down to, to, to Missouri. So in Missouri, Missouri's ranked 13 highest in the suicide rate. The national average uh, was 13.42 out of every 100,000. I don't know how they get the .4s when you're dealing with whole, whole numbers. But anyway, it's because they're averaging. But the point is simply this. That is, that's, that's what it was in, in, American, in the United States. But in Missouri, it's 18.7. And two, uh, uh, per 100,000 in 2016. So there are 100,000 people in Cass County. Think about what that would mean. Um, and so in, in this county, it's not good. And so um, ages 20 to 34, 19.7, it goes up. Ages 15 to 19, it's 11.72. 35 to 64, it's 22.43. So those middle-aged folks up to Elderly, they're starting to, you know what, they're checking out. So rates have increased 30%. That's the, that's the trajectory since 1999. In Missouri, 76% of them are male. And of those males, 92% are Caucasians. So we're pretty monolithic in this group. And uh, that would, so that, those statistics would really fit this particular area really well. Those are, those are just, I'm talking about racially monolithic. Those are just numbers but unless you know someone who's taken their own life, it really means something else. And I, 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 I don't want to like have you raise your hands, but I bet you in this room right now, several of us have been affected, haven't we, from people who have taken their own life. And I really do want to be, just like with abortion, I want to be super sensitive to that. Because when I talk about abortion, there's women in this room that have had abortions. And, uh, and we know that Jesus Christ forgives you, and he'll even take that which was, was evil and work it for good, plus the child didn't do anything wrong, they're innocent. So God's able to, to redeem that. So we're not here to beat up on people. We're here to restore people, and reconcile people. That's what we do, to bring grace, right? Because God, well, that's who God is. He's the God of life. And so, um, so there's people here that we've, we've had personal pain in this county a lot, in this city, in this county, people that have taken their life. And yeah, we say, well, that's selfish. Well, it might be selfish, but you know what? What it is is foolish if they don't know Christ especially. On average, one person dies every seven hours in Missouri, according to the, the uh, uh, Missouri statistics. Statistically, suicide is the 10th most likely way someone in the USA will perish. Among young adults, 10 to 24 in Missouri, um, uh, the co- it's, a, it's a leading cause of death, or the second leading cause of death. I, I misstated that. Second leading cause of death. Among that age group, suicides are, are highest among 20 to 24-year-olds. So is that college age? And rates have remained relatively unchanged since 1999. So one out of eight. Now this is crazy. Listen to this. One out of eight, 12% of middle school students say they seriously have considered suicide in the past year. And 9% uh, planned suicide and 6% attempted suicide. That's according to the Missouri student statistics. Among high school students, one in six, 16% seriously considered suicide, 13% planned suicide, so it goes up. 6% attempted suicide, and, and uh, that's crazy. One, of the five coll- one out of five college students, 21% reported uh, that they seriously considered suicide in the past year. And full-time students, 18 to 22, are less likely to attempt suicide. 
So this is what that tells me is it's on the minds and the hearts of folks, isn't it? A lot of folks. Why would they do that? Well, I'll get to that in just a moment. Among the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer, whatever all that is. Whatever the stats are, two times more likely <coughs> to have suicidal thoughts and are almost five times as likely to have made a suicide attempt. So there's reasons people are taking their own lives. Statistically, not, this is not what I'm saying. This is statistically, they say, 42% of relationships. Crisis in the past two weeks. You know, Doug Carriger says, suicide is a long-term answer for a short-term problem. That's true, isn't it? And it's not a very good answer. It's just creating another, it's creating a long-term problem on top of a short-term problem is what it is. Substance abuse, 28%. Physical health problems, 22%. Job, 16%. Criminal or legal problems, 9%. Loss of housing, 4%. That's the statistics that I found. So, <coughs> excuse me, active duty and military statistics. Uh, 17 U.S. vets die per day from suicide. Of course, that's often from the trauma of military service. That's hard. I mean, if you get to talk with some veterans, especially guys like Joe Sparks, you understand why it's hard to live when you've seen so many people die. A lot of survivor guilt, a lot of just messed up stuff. There's Linda back there. She knows. She's a social worker. You deal with a, you've dealt with a lot of vets over the years. So per, my personal experience since I'm not going to ask you to do that publicly, I'll share some of mine. So I can remember the first time I was acquainted with suicide. I didn't even get, get it. This little kid I knew from first grade, Jamie Bonacci, um, <clears throat> I knew him. I remember having him in gym one day. I mean, one, he's in gym one day, the next day he's not. You know where he was? He ended up hanging himself in his jail cell in the juvie. There wasn't a funeral. There wasn't any lot of mourning. It's just kind of Jamie's gone. He's gone. And then the next year in the eighth grade, a neighbor down around the corner from me, his name's Aaron, I had him in shop class. Great kid, a lot better kid than I was, good Christian parents. <clears throat> they find him hanging off the gas pipe in the basement. And I can still remember sitting there in the living room. His dad's giving us the gospel, telling us all it was a mistake, it was an accident, he didn't really mean to do it. I'm like, okay, I don't even know. I'm still like, I don't know, I'm like eighth grader, <laughs> I don't know. You know, when I got in the ministry, I, I, well, I didn't sit underneath the, the pastor of our, the church that sent us, uh, the second pastor, his name was Truman Dollar. He just left and went to Detroit not long after, or not long, a few years before I got saved. <clears throat> he was at Detroit Baptist Temple. But one day I heard the news that he, he committed suicide. We're not talking about a dude that didn't know better. We're not talking about a guy who probably was lost. We're talking about people like y'all. That somehow something's happened where, where they were influenced to the point that they thought, you know what, it's just easier to check out than to go forward. And death eclipses life. So every day I come in the office, I sit at his desk as a reminder to myself of what I do not want to have happen. I was at a conference one time, and Pastor George Grace was there, and he's just a pastor conference. He says, you know, some pastors check out. Some commit physical suicide, and some commit spiritual suicide. How many of you know a pastor has committed spiritual suicide? I think we all probably know several. God forbid, I don't want to be that guy. 
whether it's spiritual or physical. Not a lot of difference. And so those are just my own personal, you know, and there's more, but those are just some personal ones that really set in on me that where I, when I think of suicide, those are kind of like the big ones in my life that I think about. And, uh, you know, I've got a video clip. I want, it's only about two minutes. I want to I roll a clip of this young lady. Her name's Sarah Liberty. And, uh, and uh, she's a young college student with suicidal tendencies. And she recounts uh, in a talk that she gave to TED Talks uh, at her university about uh, the uncomfortable way in which people deal with suicide. They joke about it. They blow it off. That's kind of her, her premise. But uh, what I want you to see is just a clip of what happens when she describes her own bout with suicidal thoughts and the issue of contemplating uh, taking her own life. A few years ago, I actually drove myself to the emergency room in the midst of a panic attack. I learned two things that day. Never drive when you're having a panic attack. <laughs> it's not good. <laughs> and number two, it feels really good to get help. It feels so relieving and wonderful to tell someone, I'm hurting, look at me, help me. I was released from the psychiatric emergency room at 6.30 in the morning, and I was sitting in this ugly green waiting room, waiting for my parents to come pick me up because I didn't feel like driving back. And I realized that people were still coming into the emergency room, but the sun was rising and people were still going about their day. And because it was 6.30 in the morning, my best friend was getting ready for school to start at 7.00. I call them, and to my surprise, they pick up, because they weren't a morning person. The first thing to fly out of my mouth was, you won't believe the night I had. Can I see you in 12 hours? 12 hours come and go, and I'm sitting in their bedroom. At the time, one of my favorite places in the world. It was their bedroom. We made so many great memories there. They had a really comfortable bed and a computer and a piano and a fish tank. Most importantly, my friend and our friendship. I tell them everything that happened, the drive, everything that led up to the thoughts, the actual thoughts I had, and what happened in the hospital. There was silence after I spoke for a solid 20 minutes. My friend looks me in the eye. I could see a glimmer of confusion. And they say to me, Sarah, you've always known what I thought about people who want to kill themselves. Let them. They're weak, and we're better off without them. I don't talk to my best friend anymore. I don't know where they are or what they're doing with their life. Tough, isn't it? Now, what gets folks to, what a different, how polarizing is that? What a difference of mindset. I think there's a lot of people that would say, well, yeah, suck it up, soldier. You know, I get all that. But what I really want to point out this morning is the influence. <clears throat> the influence that is upon society, upon those that are just being, flooding their minds with not just social media, but even, but even the philosophies of this world, the, quote, deeper thoughts, the educational system. 
We're not talking about people who haven't been educated. These are people in higher education in New York. And they say, you know what? Where would in the world would someone get the, the concept that we're th thinning out the herd and, and the strongest survive? Many of you would know that. You know, Proverbs 23, 7 says, For he that, that thinketh, as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, saith he to thee, but his heart is not with thee. God is pointing out, you've got to be careful with people because we don't see people's hearts. God sees the heart. God says, there's some people you've got to be careful because no matter what they say, their heart is somewhere else. And, and this, actually, this girl's presentation is about that very issue, that sometimes people with suicidal thoughts are serious about it. They're kidding, they're goofing off, but the reality is they're really seriously contemplating because the Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. But it's also deceitful, isn't it? The heart is desperately wicked. And so we should not be surprised that choosing death for innocent children or even our own lives is on, the, is on a steady rise. Well, actually, praise the Lord, the abortion is on, the, is on a downward trend right now because God's getting the victory there. But people are without hope. They're without Christ. And, and they don't know the way, and they don't know the truth, and they don't know the life. So death has always been Satan's plan for man. Since Genesis 2.17, when God put out that one command, don't, don't eat of the fruit. Right? You can touch it, you can play soccer with it, whatever you want to do, but don't eat of the fruit. Satan's like, aha. And he used that and he leveraged it against Adam and Eve. And you know the story, Genesis 3, and death came forth. So life has always been God's desire for man. He is the author of life. And when faced with the fall of, of man, the fall of Adam, he sacrificed an innocent animal to cover his sin and establish a pattern of sacrifice that would culminate in his own death to redeem Adam's sinful race. I think most of us get that. So the truth that Jesus has conquered sin and death has, has not stopped Satan from twisting truth and robbing people of hope because he's not satisfied. He wants to take as many people down with him as he can. So in the Old Testament, there were gods, small g. There were gods of the Amalekites, the, the Hivites, the Canaanites. In the New Testament, especially in Laodicea, we find even in Christian circles, our hearts can be turned from life to death through the isms. Instead of the ites. Right? In the Old Testament, God says, Be careful of the ites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Amalekites, whatever the ites were. I'll tell you today, be careful of the isms. Because humanism in the 17th century leads to rationalism and Darwinism in the 19th and 20th century. And Darwinism lends itself to Marxism in the 20th and 21st century and brings about a philosophy that Sarah's friend had and every mother and father who, who justifies killing a child for the hope of financial prosperity has. Which, number one, it's all about me, and only the strong survive. But the Bible says, no, that's actually not accurate. The Bible says Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And you know what? When you're weak, that's when you're strong. And you know what? You can put all your care upon him because he cares for you. All this will eventually lead to, to globalism. All the isms will get to globalism in an attempt for Satan to, to finally uh, feign solutions that only Jesus Christ can provide. Let me say that twice so you get it. All of this stuff that everybody gets worked up about, as you ought to get worked up about it, is actually leading to a global solution. You know, what, what did Hitler call it? The final solution. <laughs> what a title, huh? What was Hitler's final solution? Death. He canceled out the culture he didn't like. It was called Jews. And it brought forth death. That was his final solution. Okay, just saying. There's a lot you can learn from history, but most of us, we don't learn a lot from history. 
And the next dude on the scene is going to come around, and you know what? He's going to bring a great solution, and it's going to bring forth death. It's really not a great solution. Okay, so don't let that mess you up because it hasn't happened yet. But So what we've got to do then is understand what time it is. Woo, and like, Brian, it's time for me to eat lunch. Hang on. And, so, and, and then we've got to get busy about making sure that we cancel out the culture of death, at least while we're here, or giving everybody every opportunity they can to know that there is life in Christ. It's so easy for us, the Christians, to get caught up in all the isms, just like the, the nation of Israel get caught up in all the ites, right? The gods of the ites. Don't get caught up in the isms. Get caught up in Christ. And so there's a reason that people engage in sexual perversion. I mentioned the LGBTQ issues at a higher rate of suicide uh, uh, and have a higher rate of suicidal thoughts, I should say, and, and attempts than many others. It's because they're living in darkness and death has eclipsed their soul. And they need hope. They need light. They need help. They need love. They need forgiveness. They need Jesus Christ. Because the spiritual death has taken a grip on their soul. And I know, again, some of those are you all or us. So before you get too judgy, man, you don't know what's in everybody's closet. And I don't want to know. I know this, though. Jesus Christ loves you anyway, and he'll redeem you. And many of you, and many of us, let's say you, us, many of us, he has. Amen. So in Romans 1, 28, the Bible says, Even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. It's funny that Ron brought up the bands this morning. People want to cast off the bands. That's what Romans 1 is talking about. A culture that when you reject Christ, you reject life. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, yeah, kids, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, without natural affection, without natural affection implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do so, but do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. So Paul preached that the evidence of the darkness of the heart would be manifest in these last days. And he spoke of how wicked people would be as, uh, in these days in which we're living. He said in 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, before the coming of the Lord, it's going to get crazy. He says, This know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, hey kids, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection. You know, it's easy to pick on the kids when like there's nine or ten of them pointing at us, right? Without natural affection, without natural affection, there that is again, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures, more than lovers of God, more than lovers of God, more than lovers of God, something has taken away our hearts. More than lovers of God. When we talk about love, even to this day in our culture, what do we, what do we attach love to? Oh, that's right, it's the heart. Man, keep the heart. Keep the heart. we got to have a heart for God. But there's things that attack the heart. There's cultures. There's all of this stuff. And, and it results in all kinds of things. I'm picking on suicide this morning. But what's interesting is verse 5. Having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. From such turn away. He says there's religious problems. 
having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, the Spirit of God, isn't around it. Ichabod's on the door. Remember? That's what Revelation 3 talks about. I stand at the door and knock, but people are blind and they're deaf. They can't hear because they are not getting a hold of my word. We're literally in a war with the word of God here at Heartland. We literally built a building, call it the armory. Why? Because we want to literally get the word of God out. Why? Because we know that the word of God is the key. If we don't love God's word, we don't love God. Because those that, if you love me, Jesus said this, you keep my commandments. Man, God is so good to us. Suicide in the Bible. Both Saul and Judas committed suicide in the Old Testament. One was a type of the Antichrist, and the other was a son of perdition. And in both cases, they were both trying to avoid the consequences of their sin. A lot of people think that, that Judas was like, oh, poor guy, swallowed up with guilt. You need to reread the, the story. Uh, I don't think so. He was messed up because he just realized he messed up. And, and Saul was very similar to that. God never intended that we should face death for our sin. And that's why he provided himself the sacrifice for sin. And we were reminded what Jesus said, Matthew 25, 41. Then shall he say unto to them, uh, be on the, <coughs> uh, them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed and everlasting, prepared for the uh, devil uh, into everlasting fire. Don't want to miss that point. Prepared for the devil and his angels. So everlasting fire, the lake of fire, was prepared for the devil and his angels. Unfortunately, many humans will end up there because their hearts were taken away. Even though God has done everything in his power to redeem us. Ultimately, we've got to choose. We've got to choose life. We've got to choose life. Eternal death is the last issue addressed by God in Revelation chapter 20. That's the last issue. He says in, in 1 Corinthians 15, 26, once again, I'm not going to, this isn't my opinion. The Bible says, the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Jesus died once for sin. And he will go to the great, the great white throne. After that, he will deal with sin and cast in a lake of fire once. And it will be dealt with. And so, let me just say this, beloved. We are what we think. This is truly a battle for the mind and the heart and the soul. Philippians 4.8 says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things, I missed true, I'm sorry, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Why? Because there's a battle for the mind. There's a battle for the mind. And let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, do them. And the God of peace shall be with you. See, these, even in the church, even in the household of faith, and I'm not talking about necessarily our house. You guys are super servants. I mean, praise God. I mean, you got Bibles going on. You got VBS going on. You got a Bible conference coming up. I mean, we got a men's conference this weekend. Make sure you sign up, please. Um, yeah, so we're serving. It's important, though, to do. Right? We, we want to we be doers of the word, not just hearers only. Deceiving our own selves. And notice what he says there at the end of uh, verse 9. Uh, and the God of peace. Peace I leave with you. There's a peace knowing that you're thinking God's thoughts, 
and you're doing God's actions. A steady diet of media, it'll be enough to give anyone suicidal thoughts. And I'm not even kidding. So how much of the information taken in is negative, is Christless, is void of hope, void of Christ, even if you agree with it and it's your particular bent on whichever side of the aisle you stand on. But how much of it is really redemptive? How much of it is really Jesus? Don't be, be careful. Be careful. Too much is too much. When I was a child, you know, well, you see, AOC came out, and now the Green New Deal's coming. The kids are scared because we're all going to die in seven years if, if there's not a Green New Deal or 12 years or whatever. Um, okay, whatever. I'm up here preaching about the coming tribulation. So which would you rather have, right? You know what I'm saying? The, the reality is that it, it, there is kind of a, without Christ, man, it is dark. People that don't know Christ, they don't have anything to look forward to. But we have Christ. And I remember as a kid, we're hiding under the desk. We're afraid the nuke's coming. Here comes, the, what was that show we watched? Uh, the Day After. Yeah, Ron remembers. You think you're scared now. Go watch The Day After, man. You're ready for a nuclear bomb to hit you. Yeah, war games, all that stuff. The advent of technology, however, though, has really increased more isolation. You know the reason for the the statistics, not that I'm coming up with, the statistics that I that the professionals give us tell us the real issue. It's a relationship issue. Almost half the people that commit suicide are struggling with relationship issues. Because they're not going to find it in the media. They're not going to find it in social networking. They're not going to find it even in this world. The only way to have a right relationship with others is really to have a right relationship with God. And if I may be so bold, i got a lot of experience dealing with folks that don't have right relationships with others because they don't have a right relationship with God. And I'm not talking about lost people. There's a reason God said, here's the Lord's Supper, here's the Passover feast, here's what I need you to do as often as you do it, in remembrance of me, because you'll forget me. And you'll wander off into the isms. And you'll forget what life is about and who, who, who's, who's the, where life resonates from. So please, please, don't forget my word. Please, please, don't forget to do the things I told you to do. Please, please, don't wander off. Stay focused on things above until I come. Because there's comfort in the sacrifice of Christ. We have, we have complete peace when we know the Prince of Peace. Earlier I mentioned how Jesus spoke of peace. Just before the suffering, his suffering, and the most excruciating death imaginable. And he purchased our peace and offers it to us through faith in his finished work on the cross. You know, Sarah, the one that we just heard from, she was so right. Wasn't that good? It's so, so good she said, to get help. Now, I doubt if anybody opened up the word of God and shared with her the life of Christ. But Sarah got baptized today because she had a problem and she came to get help. And someone opened up the word of God and gave you life. When they come to Shiloh, they're in a crisis. We're not saying, shame on you, you shouldn't have done that. Sarah, or, uh, uh, Carol's going to bring them in and sit them down. And say, let me give you something to help you. Not just life, not just the life of your child, but let's give eternal life. Beloved, that's what the church does, is we give people life. Eternal life through Christ. The only, the only way to negotiate a culture of death is following the good shepherd through the valley of the shadow of death. I think about Psalm chapter 23, 
Many of us know that passage, but he says, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You guys know the whole passage, so I'm not going to quote it all. But you can read it. If I had more time, I'd read the whole thing. I love Psalm 23. But you know what? In the shadow of death, in a time when death is, is overshadowing life, don't forget that the place that you're going to find your hope, the place that you're going to find your rest is, is a table prepared for you, right? A table of communion with God Almighty, where he meets with us daily, where he gives us, in the, midst, in the presence of our enemies, man, we get lit up like a Christmas tree. And the glory of God shines through our hearts because he is so good to us. So don't doubt God's goodness. Jesus knows the anguish of sin more than any other human. He has faced, uh, he's faced everything down and won on the other side and come out with victory. So allow his victory to become your victory. Trust Christ as your Lord and Savior today and walk in the light as he's in the light, having fellowship with him, right? Allow the blood of Christ to cleanse you from all sin. Walking with God, allowing the word of God to be a light unto your feet and a lamp unto your paths in a dark and dying world. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 8, the Bible says, But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet of hope, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation, right? Gird up the loins of our minds. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. You may be someone even in this room today, and you're feeling suicidal. Listen, I want to give you some hope, man. God has given you a helmet to protect your mind. He has given you hope to protect your heart. He's given you a breastplate, man. He's given you what you need to stand in that, in that dark and, and dreadful day. He's given you a table in the presence of your enemies. Even if your enemies are resonating from your own soul and they're doubting and, and they're dark because the adversary has gotten an advantage. For God has not appointed us to wrath, but to attain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. You think, man, I'm scared about this. I'm scared about this. Don't be afraid. Peace be still, man. God has got it. All we got to worry about is taking the next right step. If he calls you to it, he'll get you through it. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify, build one another. What do I need to do? Oh, it is important to get your mind off of you and start working on investing in others, just like you're doing. Beloved, that's what Heartland's all about. It's getting our mind off of us, getting it on Christ and getting on helping other people. It's amazing how when you go to help others, you start to forget about all those things. And you start to see light where there was darkness. You start to see joy where there was sadness. So renew your mind. Romans chapter 12 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. What is that? It's different than suicide. Notice what he says. It's exactly the opposite. It's a living sacrifice. That's the answer. That's the difference between suicide and sacrifice. Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, but you can't kill him. He rose the third day. Now, when you put your faith in Christ, he calls us to be a living sacrifice. But it doesn't just happen, right? He, he says, I, I need you to, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. See, God wants us to understand him so much that the devil can't even mess with us. We're so focused on eternity, man, you can't, you can't pry it out of us. As a matter of fact, he wants to be so focused on that that when the devil comes with death, we just laugh and say, take me, baby, I'm ready to go home. I used to preach like that at the mission, and I was serious. And those guys knew it. I'd tell them, because some of them were pretty dangerous, I'd say, you can shoot me right now, I'm just going to go to heaven. 
but you need to know Christ. And when I said it, I meant it. I wasn't kidding, because they really could. Not that I would have a death wish, but it's true. It's true. There's no death for the child of God. There isn't. So why would you check out early and forfeit your inheritance if you're born again? Instead of staying put, renewing your mind, and helping other people. Because you've already got your help. (laughs) You just forgot to claim your inheritance. And that's why we have a church that disciples people. And and that's why we have a church that serves. And that's why we try to do what God has called us to do. Because he's already made us who we need to be in Christ. So you'll know you have laid claim to life when suicidal tendencies are transformed into a living sacrifice. There's no problem that's too big for God. What did God say? He told, he told Mary, for with God, nothing shall be impossible. So choose life. Choose life. We want to have life. If we want to have life, we've got to choose it. And that means we need to choose Christ. Not only as Lord and Savior, but daily we need to choose to draw close to Christ. Because God wants us to claim our inheritance. That's why he took the time, to, a second time, to repeat Deuteronomy. This is what you boys need to do. And make sure you choose life. Choose life. Choose life. You know, right now, there may be somebody on the sound of my voice. Maybe you're watching online. Maybe you're in the building. And you need to choose life. I mean, right now, you need to choose life. You know, Jesus, he put out a great invitation. He said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. I know some of us may feel like we've got the burden of the world on our shoulders. And those are real burdens. Depression's real. People struggle with emotions and stuff like that. What, what God is calling you to do is take that burden and lay it aside. Let him take it. Just bring it to him. Just bring your burden. And let him take that yoke off. He says, my yoke is easy. He'll put a new yoke on you. And he'll make you his. And my yoke is easy. He says, learn of me. My yoke is easy and my burden Oh, it's not just light. Beloved, it's light. It's illuminating. God wants to illuminate our minds. He has illuminated our minds, and that's what we are doing. We're giving our lives a living sacrifice so that we can light up a dark world. It's so important because you don't know who around you is struggling. And if you're struggling this morning and you need life, man, today's the day of salvation. Take Jesus up on it, man. Come unto him. For his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. With heads bowed and eyes closed, nobody looking around. If you're under my voice right now, whether you're online or right here, and you're like, man, Brian, I I need to choose life today. I'm not a Christian. I'm not born again. You're like, I I need to be saved. I'm not going to tarry this morning, but if that's setting in on you this morning, maybe for the first time, maybe for the tenth time, I don't know. But you know you need to make a decision to trust Christ as Savior. Would you this morning just kind of raise your hand where you're at? I'll, let, I'll have someone come to you. I'll tell you what I'm doing here. And show you in the Bible how you can know what the Bible says about having eternal life. How you can know that you can be what we call saved. And how you can bring that burden to Christ. How he'll take it and he will exchange his life for yours. And give you a new life in Christ. Through the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. Is there anybody that says, Brian, I need that. I want that. I need to know about that right now. Just where you are right now. Just raise your hand. Thank you. Anybody else? Anybody else right now? We've got one brave person. Yeah. 
Thank you. Anybody else? Say right now. I just, you know, Brian, thank you. Brave young lady. Raised your hand. Don't look around. How about you? How about you? Today is the day. God's calling. How about us? You know, man, no, no one's looking around. There, I'm going to specifically ask, because I don't really know why God put this particular message on my heart. But I'm going to ask right now, if there's someone in the room right now that's dealing, you're suffering. You're like, Brian, I am this person. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm dark and I'm, I'm suffering. And I think about these things. And you say, Brian, I just need, I want you to pray for me. You? Okay. Anybody else? You know, that's the first step to getting help is realizing, you know what, I need help. Even Christians struggle with this. Now, nobody's raising their hand, which is great. Well, I shouldn't say nobody. Someone did raise their hand, but you don't even know who it was. But the reality is this. You don't know who around you is suffering with these with a culture of death. And you know, as we look at the numbers, the young people are being inundated. And let's make sure we give people hope. I want to just commend HBF for the doing the VBS last week, investing in young people, giving them light, giving them life, giving them hope, giving them truth. Praise God. And maybe you need a little bit of encouragement this morning. Anybody say, Brian, I just need some prayer. Amen several of us let's stand in an attitude of prayer heavenly father as we stand together there's there's a young lady looking in the word of god lord we pray for her soul she's not saved that today would be the day of salvation that's your will you're not willing that any should perish but all should come to repentance heavenly father we pray for for the one or the the, the others around here that may actually struggle with uh, suicidal type type of thoughts and tendencies and issues of self-worth and understanding who they are in Christ. Lord, we pray, God, that you would bring to them encouragement. And Lord, for those that just need encouragement in the Lord, Lord, there's people doing their best and Lord, the devil's after them or circumstances or even dumb decisions we make or or maybe it's just difficult uh, things that we face. Lord, we just needed some encouragement in the Lord. I pray, God, that you would minister to your church and your body the way that you do. Lord, that uh, we would not be like uh, that girl that we just saw, Sarah Liberty. Lord, we wouldn't be like that friend. Lord, I pray, God, that when people come to us, we would not say, well, get over it. But we would be sensitive. We'd understand that really why we're here is to, to take people that are struggling with death and usher them into life. We're here to help people know that God values them. That God, before they were even born, God gave his son on the cross. Oh, Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for you giving your, your life for ours so that we can be a living sacrifice. Lord, may we leave here today holy, acceptable unto you which is our reasonable service. Lord, may we serve you with our whole heart. May we continue in the things that we know and are doing until you come for us. Help us not to go to the right hand or to the left. Help us not to get caught up in the isms, but to stay focused on Christ and set our affections on things above. We thank you and we praise you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for coming this morning. And uh, man, praise the Lord. I'm going to just encourage you. I think Jeremy will be coming with some announcements. As Jeremy's coming, uh, he'll conclude us in a word of prayer in just a moment. Uh, I do want to just encourage you, uh, before he encourages you, men, please sign up for the men's conference. We're going to have food, but we need to know how much to prepare. And so if money's an issue, make arrangements with us. We'll work something out. But, man, make sure you get signed up online, hbfcast.org. 
and we'll get you going this coming Friday night. We'll be on down in Locan Camp. Praise the Lord.